This is Jennifer Hale, and you're listening to the Five-ish Fangirls Podcast. And, um, I should go. Continue all the way to episode 311 of the Five Ish Fangirls podcast. Nothing good is born from lies, and greatness is not what you think. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Five Ish Fangirls podcast. So glad you could join us. Let's start, like, start off like we do every week with a virtual table and see who's joined us this week. I'm stumbling over my own stuffed nose. <laughs> this is Brittany and Troy. This is Holly from Wisconsin. And this is Rachel in Indianapolis, Indiana. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello, hello, So I was saying before we started, Chrissy may be joining us, depending on when childcare arrives. <laughs> so, as, 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 as fun as it is sometimes to have Alex and or Lottie join us, probably don't want both. <laughs> <laughs> They'd probably talk over us. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, we have got a lot to talk about, but uh, before we get into that, we are not alone this week. So, uh, we've got a, a couple of guests with us. First up, returning to the show, uh, we did not scare him off. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> uh, we have uh, DJ Nick from everywhere. <laughs> well, hey, everybody. Super, super happy to be back and, you know, just really honored to be invited back a second time. You know, thanks so much for inviting me. Really mm-hmm. appreciate it. You are welcome. And for the first and hopefully not the last, but this has been a long time coming appearance, uh, we have got uh, Charles from Next Stop Everywhere. Hi, everybody. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Charles Skaggs here. And uh, I appreciate uh, you having, letting me get on the same podcast with Nick. Yeah. Because uh, we don't talk enough to each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we get to the end and you guys go to plug yourselves, there's going to be a lot of overlap. Well, yeah. <laughs> It's okay. We're, we're we're pretty good at that. We're yeah. we're we're pretty good at uh, kind of covering each other's stuff. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> we've got enough method going at this point. Yes. Yeah. We got it down. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but thank you again for inviting us. Oh, oh, you're welcome. Oh. Uh, first up, we need to do the news. Uh, we don't have a lot of news, but unfortunately, our first piece of news is a bit of ten o'clock news. This came uh, over the wire in the last hour-ish or so so this is really fresh 10 o'clock news um and you know for those of us of a certain era uh that would be neat yes this is kind of childhood uh Mm -hmm. 
uh, a loss for our childhood, but uh, Dustin Diamond, who most everybody knows playing Screech from Saved by the Bell, Saved by the Bell, mm-hmm. College Years, all the Saved oh. by the Bell stuff, um, has passed away at the age of 44 due to cancer. Um, which, uh, as we always say, cancer sucks a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've lost some, you know, really good people to to various forms of cancer and um yeah of the you know we we ever decide to veer into retro tv series and not just retro movies we'll have to do saved by the bell at some point yes Um, but of the saved by the bell cast dustin did not have the best go of it once the series was over um he definitely was a victim of the childhood teenage stardom um pitfalls that sometimes come with that when you become a celebrity at a young age um but um and i i know there was some turmoil between him and his castmates um but they uh seem to have patch things up at least to a amicable level in the last few years um and several of them have been have been posting on social media since the news broke uh about it so um but yeah he's been he's been ill with various ailments i think in the last few years but yeah they announced that he had been diagnosed with stage four cancer fairly recently and um yeah he lost his battle with it so Mm -hmm. r.i.p screech Mm -hmm. um so moving on to happier news uh we have got uh cast announcements for the netflix uh series adaptation for the sandman um which um obviously we've got the audio adaptation available mm-hmm. through audible which that in itself is an amazing cast um mm-hmm. but there are uh, a good number of uh recognizable uh folks that are going to be in this this live af- action adaptation including some game of thrones alumni um so we've got um tom sturridge is going to be dream um and then we've got gwendolyn christie uh she's gonna be playing lucifer um Mm -hmm. and charles dance who is also from uh game of thrones um will be in it as well so um this should be this should be interesting i again this is one of those you know, people have been trying to adapt the Sandman into something live action for a long, long time. And the fact that we're finally getting somewhere is making some people very, very excited. I know Nick was <laughs> Nick was like, Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Look at this cast list. <laughs> yes. I am and, equally yay, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And to also add to the Sandman squee, Audible has said that they are going to be doing seasons two and three. Or your audio adventures. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes. So, the they're not going anywhere. No. Have nope. not plenty, at all. 
to listen and to watch. Yes. yes. Very, very much so. <laughs> yep. So there is that. So while we're waiting for this to finally get like into proper production, go listen to the Audible. <laughs> yes. Stuff. So because I'm still not finished, but I'm loving what I've had listened mm. to so far. Yeah. 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 So. all right well that is it for the news of course it is as we're recording this it is february 1st so it means new month which means book club updates yes and for the book club update there was a tie this month so this month's so that month i flipped the coin this month's winner was the Minds of Magnax, which is part of the Time Lord Victorious, and that is an audible adventure. And then March's book is going to be the other Time Lord Victorious, All Flesh is Grass. And then in March, I will have April's pull up. So there's that. Cool, cool, cool. Yep. Uh, and of course, we the link to the book club is available on our website, so you can come join the mm -hmm. discussions. Or if there's an audio book from Big Finish that you are dying for me to put on the poll, mm -hmm. please drop a message. Oh yes, yes, because I mm -hmm. mean, there's lots of Doctor Who books out there, but now that we're including <laughs> Finish, <laughs> yeah, I try to do it. I try to do a mix of books and audio. Yep. All right, so there is that, and so we've got some feedback real quick from Shalane. Um, of course, we did 101 Dalmatians talking about the uh, cartoon and the, the live adaptation, speaking of live action adaptations of things. Um, and she says that uh, that the cartoon has been one of her favorites since she was a kid. Um, and she also remembers seeing the sequel and loving it. Good for you. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, there was a TV series. Um, she has read the book, which cool, because I don't know anybody's actually read the book that the movies are actually based on. Um, so... Um, she says her favorite part in the cartoon is when the puppies are escaping with the cat and they're too busy watching TV and don't notice that they're escaping. It just shows how <laughs> dumb Horace and Jasper are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very funny. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, she also says Corella is her second favorite female Disney villain after Maleficent. Um, and then she also has given us another list of movies. <laughs> <laughs> and TV shows celebrating their 25th anniversary this year that we may want to consider, including Twister, Matilda, uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio, Romeo and Juliet, uh, Space Jam, uh, and then TV shows like Hey Arnold and Sabrina the Teenage Witch. That was made me feel very old. Thank you, Celine. Thank yep. you. Yep. <laughs> So we will get to the, the we, we may wait to do Space Jam if and when the 
sequel ever comes out <laughs> with LeBron James. <laughs> I keep forgetting that's gonna be a thing until like I see something or someone reminds yeah, me. Yeah, like oh, there right. was a hot minute where they had released like like showing us what the the new tune squad uniforms are gonna look like and then there's mm-hmm. like been nothing since so <laughs> it's like this is going to be a thing maybe eventually <laughs> we shall see <laughs> uh so but thank you shalane for the feedback as always mm-hmm. You know we love reading, but sometimes it's hard to find time to physically sit down with a book, which is why the Five-ish Fangirls has proudly partnered with Audible. Audible is a leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs. Whatever makes you squee, there's a perfect listen for you. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible Originals. Whether you're adventuring through time and space, running from dinosaurs, or capturing ghosts, With the free app, audiobooks go where you go. You can download titles and listen offline, anytime, anywhere. Even if you switch devices, you'll never lose your place. And right now, Five-ish Fangirls listeners can sign up for a free 30-day trial by going to audibletrial.com slash fiveishfangirls. That's 30 days to check out not only their huge collection of audiobooks, but also podcasts, guided wellness programs, theatrical performances, A-list comedy, and exclusive Audible originals you won't find anywhere else. So continue the joy of reading with Audible. Don't see a title that trips your trigger one month? No problem! Your credit will roll over to the next month, and you can quit anytime and keep the books you've acquired forever. For more details and to sign up for your free 30-day trial, visit audibletrial.com slash fiveishfangirls. That's audibletrial.com slash fiveishfangirls. And now, back to the podcast. So, we are going to move on to this week's main topic and the whole reason that we have our two guests is uh uh kind of like uh we did with um Mulan if you remember a almost a year ago uh <laughs> leading up to the release of the Disney live action movie we did a deep dive on Mulan, where we got into the history of the character and everything, and talking about the different adaptations and portrayals and that sort of thing. Um, so we're a little behind, but because of stuff moving around on the movie calendar, it's just one of those things. Um, so, but in this case, it just means that we all got, most of us have gotten to see uh wonder woman 1984 (laughs) since it's now been out for slightly over a month um so Mm -hmm. we will be discussing wonder woman 1984 but we will also be talking the history of the character including the very very interesting story of her creator uh (laughs) there's some very interesting things here a bit of a heads up um as we talk about this, uh, I know that we've got some people that tend to listen to our show with sometimes little ones nearby. We'll try not to get 
too graphic, but they're uh, kind of hard not to. I guess it's kind of hard not to because there's there's some interesting things that we need to discuss with both Wonder Woman's creator, but then there are also some controversy a big controversy with wonder woman 1984 that is adult in nature um you might want to have nick do a content warning he's really good at those yeah <laughs> so <laughs> if you listen aware, to us on drunk cinema yeah. he's really good at those yeah so just be aware that the, the, the some of the content in this discussion is not for little ears we'll just we'll just leave it at that um so but i guess you could fast forward and skip over that maybe i guess so uh but uh yeah so uh wonder woman um obviously a big you know tentpole in the dc comic universe uh you know in universe she's one of the founding members of the justice league um so and she she's been around for a long time um is considered one of the first female superheroes although there is some controversy in that on i guess what you define a superhero um so um but her origin story as a comic is fascinating um and i've been I've been working my way through this book um, and unfortunately I've renewed it so many times with the library. I have to give it back and I still haven't finished it because it's just, mm. it's so, that when that happens. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just because it's so big. It's almost 400 pages, um, wow. but it's called the secret history of wonder woman by Jill Lepore. It's a fascinating book, but it's, it's huge. <laughs> so I'm just gonna have to return to the library, give it some time and then check it out again, I guess um and call it a day <laughs> and hopefully finish it uh another go round um but it dives into the hit not just the history of the character um but it's somewhat biographical not just for william moulton marston but also um the women in his life that were so um important to him and um helped influence the creation of of wonder woman of of diana um so uh william moulton marston um was born in massachusetts uh may 9th 1893 um he was educated at harvard he graduated phi beta kappa uh, received his ba in 1915 his uh, an LLB in 1918 and a PhD in psychology in 1921. Um, what's interesting is when he first went to Harvard, he wasn't that keen on really getting an education. He, for, I, the the story is is an early part in the book, so it's it's been a bit since I read it, but. Apparently, when he was a child, he decided that he was going to kill himself in the future. That he was, he had a, he had a, a, had it in his mind that there was no point in living a long life 
And once he reached a certain age, he was going to kill himself. And it happened to be while his early years in Harvard, um, he managed to get uh, his hands on some chemicals from a, a fellow student and he was going to drink it <laughs> and kill himself. Uh, but he ended up being stopped um, because of um, these events that were going on in the early 1900s was the big start of the women's like suffrage suffrage movement you know suffrage movement and um he was really fascinated he, he psychology is not what it is now back then psychology was considered more of a fringe science as opposed to just like actual medical science um but he was really really interested in the human mind and why people do things they do and um he went to a talk um there was a a woman who went who was giving a, a talk on i forget what the subject is but because she was a woman the people at harvard would not let her speak actually on campus so she had to go off campus and he happened to go to that talk and he realized that there's way more that he could do and was like okay i'm not going to kill myself uh, <laughs> uh which is good because we would have been pretty bad off if he had been successful um but um he he started out really really i don't want to say successful but he was he was doing things in in the field that nobody else was doing so he was pioneering even if he wasn't very successful at it um and he he dabbled in a lot of things and i think that's part of part of why he was never like uber successful in one single thing until he until wonder woman's creation is he just couldn't seem to you know if he couldn't succeed in something he just moved on to something else um so he did things like um you know he wrote movie scripts and then wrote books on how to write movie scripts and how to create movies for people in hollywood he even went to hollywood at one point as a is a um kind of a um well his official title was director of public services um he worked for universal studios in the late 20s uh for a while um so and he taught at various universities all over the country um but he just he kept stepping on people's toes and people would be like he's really smart he really you know he's really passionate about his work you know he is doing things that nobody else is doing but he would just make these decisions that got him in hot water and then people would be like um yeah you're not coming back to teach her anymore <laughs> <laughs> until, until eventually he kind of got blackballed um and couldn't teach pretty much anywhere um so um you know he he struggled uh, a good chunk of his a chunk of his life um for, you know getting a actual career 
Um, but, you know, he was successful in some things. He, um, part of his research um, is, led him to developing a early version of what we would call a lie detector now. Um, so, um, he, his only covered or uh, measured blood pressure um, because his wife, um, Elizabeth, um, mentioned to him because she was she was super short too um you know she was a um a lawyer and she helped him with his research and stuff and she noted to him at one point you know when we have a fight and i get mad i can feel my blood pressure rise <laughs> um so um he was like ooh I can use that. And so he developed um, what we would consider a lie detector test. But then not long after he developed his, somebody else developed one that did multiple measurements, not just blood pressure. And that's the one that ended up going and is being used even now by like the FBI and police departments and, and stuff like that. So um, his, his wife was uh, interesting too, Elizabeth. Um, although most people knew her as Sadie, um, she is also an East Coaster from, uh, raised in Boston. Um, she went to Mount Holyoke College and got her BA in psychology from there. And then her LB from the Boston University School of Law in 1918, um, because at the time there were like two or three universities that allowed women, um, most of the big ones did not allow women students at the time. Um, but um, when they married, they married in 1915 and um, she lectured herself um, on things like law and ethics and psychology at several universities. She served as an editor for Encyclopedia Britannica. Um, she co-wrote a textbook on integrative psychology um, and um, she eventually became assistant to the chief executive of Metropolitan Life Insurance. Um, so, you know, you got a couple of a uh, couple of brainiacs there. Um, and then some. Yeah, and then some. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, but the <laughs> the the kind of main other person that we need to focus on. Um, is a woman named Mol Mary Olive Byrne, um, who most people, she went by Olive instead of, instead of Mary. Um, she herself didn't quite have the illustrious education that the Marstons did. Um, she was born to an Irish American family born in 1904. Um, her aunt Margaret was actually the person who delivered her um and when she was two years old when all was two years old her mother ethel left um left behind her and her brother who was uh three at the time to their paternal grandparents um to protect them from their father who was an alcoholic and very abusive um so uh, she and her brother were raised uh, by her, their grandparents, her and her brother's grandparents until they died in 1914, where she was sent off to a Catholic orphanage. 
um, in 1917, her Aunt Margaret came to visit and told her of her mother um, and the things that they were doing um, because both Ethel Byrne, Olive's mother, and Margaret Sanger, um, Olive's aunt, were um, very, very heavy into the feminist women's suffrage movement. Um, and especially Margaret was big big into um uh teaching women about um birth control and um and actually at the time even just talking to another woman uh or anyone about birth control was illegal almost everywhere in the united states and both ethel and margaret were jailed several times um, although Ethel famously was jailed and went on a hunger strike um, while she was in jail, um, went on her hunger strike lasted like 45 days or something like that. She almost died because of wow. it, um, uh, because she she had been arrested for passing out literature about birth control to women in neighborhoods where women were having you know, 8, 10, 12 children, and they're lucky if half of them survive infancy, um, and they survive all the pregnancies and childbirth. Um, so it wasn't they were against women just having children in general. It was being economic and logical about it, making sure women weren't having children they couldn't afford and, you know, having pregnancies that may kill them and or their child. Um so um, when Margaret came to visit Olive at the at the orphanage, that's when she was telling, you know, uh, that's the same time that um, Ethel was doing her, uh, her when she was in jail, having her, uh, you know, her hunger strike. Um, and she was explaining to her what she and her mother were doing. Um, and so she learned, you know, a bit more about her heritage. When she was 16, she occasionally started living with her mother and therefore got to know more of their work, um, including some of their books and their pamphlets that they, that they had written. Um, and, um, you know, so by the time she went to college, Olive um, went to Tufts University. Um, she um, was part of a, a sorority fraternity um, you know, she was, she hung out with, you know, uh, she had, you know, friends and that sort of thing. Um, but she was very, um, she was kind of avant-garde. She tended to wear more androgynous clothing and cut her hair very short, which was kind of in style, but it was a bit more masculine cut than kind of the short style that we would think of her like in the 20s um so um but she ended up becoming uh because uh mr marston professor marston and ended up teaching at tufts and um she was in his uh his one of his psychology classes and she ended up becoming his research assistant and um uh, them working together um, she would take him to her sorority um, and they would conduct experiments on the uh, sorority sisters um, because they would do 
um, things like uh, you're like we're here now with like hazing and stuff with with sororities and fraternities that was even a thing then but apparently with her sorority one of their kind of like hazing initiation things was what they called baby parties where the pledges had to dress up as giant babies and follow the instructions given to them by the you know it's called infantilism yes yeah so they would have four diapers and use bottles and (laughs) that sort of thing so um it's a thing yes it's it is a thing and it actually ends up in a wonder woman comic uh, at one point (laughs) so (laughs) along with a lot of other things yes yeah there's a lot of things from uh marston's experiences at various universities that end up in the comics including that um so but she graduated uh undergrad and was going to enter a, a doctoral program um and try to get her phd in psychology um but that ended up going by the wayside uh because she ended up moving in with the marstons and they became a threesome <laughs> is the best way to put it uh, it yep. was a then. yeah it was a um yeah she and marston developed a relationship and yeah. marston's was, wife Sadie it was polygamy was like, yeah 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 she was like cool with it she's like whatever uh so um of course this being the 1920s they had to keep it on the dl um so um you know not everyone could know about it there was one other woman that would come and go but she wasn't consistent enough that we really need to talk about her but i believe she knew um but they got exposed at one point yeah apparently like a neighbor came over yeah yeah and caught him having sex yeah 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 they were they were very free just the marsons in general were very free sexually um and um you know they would have parties with people coming over and i'm guessing some you know spouse swapping probably occurred um and you know they were all just it was all in the name of one just liberation you know sexual liberation and sexual freedom but i think part of it was also marston just found it uh, scientifically interesting too you know from a psychological side of it um so um in um so between the two women between olive and elizabeth they had four kids um so um olive had two um two boys um burn and don with two ends um and then elizabeth and marston had two children together a son uh molten who they called pete and a daughter they called olive ann and um in 1928 olive married i'm doing air quotes you can't see but married because obviously they legally couldn't because he was already legally married to elizabeth but she married the two of them um, but instead of wearing a ring, she ended up wearing these wide band bracelets on each arm. Which, that may sound familiar. <laughs> yeah. And apparently they actually invented a husband for Olive. Yes. Who apparently died 
Yeah. Because they're kind of like, I believe they wrote up letters and whatever in order to cover all that up, which was... Yeah, like, like when the census came, uh, the, the census happened at one point, they told the census takers that Olive was Elizabeth's sister-in-law who'd been widowed. Um, they told uh, William Marson's mother that Olive was their housekeeper who had been widowed. Um so and uh elizabeth uh, so olive ended up becoming the kind of at-home wife raising the children um and elizabeth was the one that became the breadwinner because william struggled so much to keep a job long term but she was so successful in everything she did that um she would be the breadwinner and she made enough for to take care of all of them and all four children um so um but yeah they had developed a story about she had a husband named william richard who died um shortly after her second child was born um and um actually so that her kids would have legal rights you know as far as like a will and inheritance that sort of thing they actually legally ad- they were actually legally adopted by Elizabeth and William. Um, so, um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a definitely uh, an interesting thing to read um, that, you know, this guy, you know, he's like, the guy who invented Wonder Woman also invented an early lie detector and had two wives. <laughs> FYI. <laughs> and Rachel, I don't know, I'm sure you probably have it in your notes, but I would also suggest, you know, for the listeners out there, if they want to find out more about this, definitely check out the 2017 film Professor Marsden and the Wonder Women. It, yes. it really is, gives that, I mean, it's, they take a lot of liberties in that, but it really gives you the idea of what was going on in the Marsden house, household at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, they... Yeah, yeah. He got the idea for 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 Wonder Woman, um, somewhat based on some drawings um, that were in some of the pamphlets and, and booklets and stuff that Ethel and um, uh, Olive's aunt uh, Margaret have, would would pass out. Um, there's some very um, kind of evocative and distinctive cartoons you know drawings that appear in some of those and actually the woman that drew a lot of those ended up becoming an artist on the on the wonder woman comic book team um but um you know as far as wonder woman's looks um a lot of that was inspired by olive um although elizabeth also um influence that too but things like the lasso of truth you know is an homage to um you know the early lie detector (laughs) that sort of thing and um the you know her her bracelets you know her big gauntlets that she wears are, are, are an homage to olive's bracelets that she wore instead of a wedding ring uh you know when she married the the marstons um so um but uh wonder woman early on as a uh comic um was um 
you know, she first appeared in uh, 1941 in All-Star Comics number eight, um, which is considered the golden age of comic books. Um, and then um, she got her own series in the summer of 1942 um, and was tied up um uh you know a lot of her stories were about you know kind of women fighting for freedom uh you know the liberation uh, of women there was a lot of imagery of women being put in chains and being tied up um and that sort of thing um marston was a, a you know a, a devout feminist and um, wanted to portray that in in the comics, um, but also had an interest in bondage. Apparently, yeah, that too. Uh, <laughs> because it's all over those golden age comic books. Yeah, yeah. So it's like women's lib, but it's a little sexy, sexy at the same time. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, sex still sells. Uh, even even in the 1940s <laughs> especially in the 1940s yeah no internet yeah yeah so it's like you got people on street corners street corners going oh that's so scandalous and at the same time they're like i'll take two copies <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep yeah but uh there's like runs of of wonder woman attending uh college <laughs> <laughs> uh so a lot of those those storylines like the the baby party and uh other things um end up end up in there um and then um Marston died actually in in 1947 so he wasn't around very long to see what Wonder Woman would, would become later um unfortunately um but um she uh yeah she went through a, a change in the um 50s and 60s during the silver age of comic books <laughs> uh, getting a a new origin story um and then um then there's the bronze age of bronze age of, of comic books. Yeah, um, where she lost her powers for a while. Yeah. yeah. And fans were so upset about that. Apparently, I believe even Gloria Steinman was so upset about that because obviously they had made um, it, Wonder Woman had you know, graced the cover of, of Miss Magazine and everything yeah. else. And I know the feminists were so upset when they basically took away um, Wonder Woman's powers. That was a huge, huge thing in the comics. Yeah, they kind of made her like this. It was more like an homage to the Avengers, Emma Peel, mm -hmm. uh, the British mm -hmm. Avengers. So she was a martial arts expert, and even though she didn't have powers, so so she did have fighting skills. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a image of uh, the new Wonder Woman from 1970, and she's she's wearing like this Asian kind of outfit and holding yeah. like a like a big like gun. a white outfit yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, had, it's like it's like the mod wonder woman yeah, yeah. And, and she had like a sensei and everything else yeah really, really i ching yeah yeah 
so yeah, as as with most comic book characters, yeah, they they go through they go through changes as as they go on as as the as the writers and the artists change and styles change and as as the consumer bases tastes change. Um, a lot of times it's also a reflection of what's happening socially at the time. So, you know, the 1940s were coming off of World War II, uh, that sort of thing. But then when you start getting to um, the end of the Silver Era and into the Bronze Age, we're getting into the 60s and the Cold War, uh, you know, the assassination of JFK and um, things like that. And then, you know, we get into, uh, you know, the, the Vietnam War um and and things like that um so it's the comics are are really good way to like look and see kind of what was happening in the world at that time without it being like a history book like a straight up history book um which i always find interesting um and that's still reflective now, even with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Wonder Woman's adaptations now, which we will, we will get to. Um, but, uh, of course, uh, you know, as we get into the, uh, this, the later time period, uh, we would be remiss if we did not talk about the Wonder Woman TV series with Linda the Carter. 70s. Yeah. Yes. That was one of my first exposures to Wonder Woman. Same that and movie. Super Friends. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. That's where I got Yeah. That's, that's what yeah. introduced me to DC Comics was Super Friends. Yeah. Including... Same. I think I think my first my my first, probably one of my first introductions to Marvel is with X Men cartoon series from the nineties. So <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, so Wonder Wonder Woman uh or the new adventures of wonder woman um starred linda carter as wonder woman aka diana prince and uh lyle wagner as steve trevor senior and junior <laughs> yeah because they they basically moved it from the 1940s world war ii period in season one to the 1970s yeah for the last two seasons yeah and then they made steve trevor his own son Yes, it's really weird. Yeah, not weird at all. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, it's kind of like a, a certain sequel, which was pretty weird. But we will get into that. Yeah, <laughs> with no explanation of who the mother was, mm, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, which I I think that you know most people when they probably think of wonder woman they probably think of linda carter and that look is one of the first images that probably comes to mind it's a very very iconic um you know with her with her you know her her shorts with the 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 blue kind of high-waisted with the the stars all over them and then the kind of bustier top and her tall boots and how she would uh well, when it was set in the forties, you know, she'd be in her her military uniform, and then she'd spin <laughs> really fast to change into Wonder Woman. Yeah, before twerking, we had twirling. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, 
the, the show only lasted for three seasons. Um, so, you know, it, uh, you know, the, the superhero thing, you know, is, is, is not like it is now, uh, where people now almost complain of superhero fatigue. Um, you know, superheroes were not, you know, especially in the seventies, they were starting to work their way there. Um, but they just, they hadn't quite taken off as they have now where they're everywhere. It's like you had Wonder Woman, you had the Incredible Hulk, <laughs> you know, uh, you had the very, very campy Batman, you know, with Adam West and so one season you had the amazing Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh but yeah, there's some there's some interesting yeah, again, it's kind of a good way to kind of get a a lens on what was happening in the world at that time, even though, yeah, obviously the first season, like we said, was set in the 1940s and then they moved it to more modern time. Um, but, um, you know, it's got, uh, it, some, some interesting, uh, aspects to it. So, <laughs> and it's it, kind of like the Batman TV series where you can kind of watch and be like, let's spot the celebrity appearance in this episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although mm-hmm. I, I don't think people are sticking their heads out of windows as Batman, cl- as Wonder Woman climbs up walls, sides of buildings. <laughs> but there are, there are several, there, there are lots of uh, notable guest stars in the, in the, uh, Wonder Woman series, even for its short run. So, oh, so, uh, yeah, uh, so, yeah, we got the, yeah, Wonder Woman TV series, and, uh, yeah, she's still going in the, in the comics, um, yeah, uh, she got rebooted in '87 after Crisis on Infinite Earths. One of my favorite eras with George Perez. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic writer and artist. Mm. Stuff. Yes. Um, and um, so um, uh, I lost my spot. Uh. <laughs> The 1980s. Yes, the 1980s. I was very tiny then. Um, So, um, and then um, she gets launched um, in a, with a new design um, in the early 2000s. you're talking the J. Michael Straczynski era? Um, no, this when was it... the Alan Heinberg. Oh, okay. Yeah. This was in conjunction with the one year later crossover storyline. Um, so. That was, 
Well, yeah, Heinberg's first five issues. Heinberg went on to, you know, write the script for the first Wonder Woman movie, by the way. Mm. Mm. But uh, his first five issues had Donna Troy as Wonder Woman. Mm. Until Diana came back in the role. Yeah. And then they had a great, uh, a solid Gail Simone run. Oh, man, that was amazing. That was good. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's it's a blessing and a curse that I have not read a lot of comic books in general. <laughs> so um, that's, a, that's a rabbit hole that I could get lost in really, really easily. But at the same time, I feel like I'm missing out. Um, Rachel, so, I, might yeah. to, I might have to send you the compendium that they did for Wonder Woman for, I believe, her 75th anniversary. I might have to send you that. So you basically get caught. It's like a, should we say a fast track? Oh, okay. Like the, the highlights of the Wonder Woman stories in the various eras. They did a few of them for the various DC characters, and uh, they did one for Wonder Woman as well. So um, I would strongly, strongly suggest you pick that up if you want to, you know, go down the rabbit hole, but not be there, you know, reading every single issue because they those are really, really great. If you want to, you know, explore that uh, oh, okay. side of it, yeah. Good to know. Yeah, because that's always my thing with comic books is like, where do I start? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm exactly. coming into this start, 75 any, years too late. <laughs> you start anywhere. Yeah. And then you fill in the gaps, just like Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah there is a jumping on. You could, the great thing about comics is they do provide jumping on points for new readers and what have you, which is always great. I mean, you know, yeah. the crazy thing that I did where I literally started in the 1930s and worked my way up. Don't do that because you won't have a social life. Yeah. I'm going to say that sounds insane. Yeah. I, I, I did it and I'm still here. But like I said, uh, during the way you had to kind of apologize to girlfriends, friends, etc. Why you weren't available. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what I did with Doctor Who, but I didn't have to go all the way that far back. I only had to go back to 1963. But even then, uh, <laughs> that's a lot. So, being the completionist that I am. Yeah. So, but yeah, uh, as of as of we're recording this, there is uh, there's still a run of a uh, of a uh, newer Wonder Woman comic books. Um, they actually did a uh, a DC did a full relaunch after the Flashpoint. Um, the new Fifty Two. Yeah, yep, the new Fifty Two. Um, so and then again in 2016 with Rebirth. Mm-hmm. Yep. And in that time, Steve Trevor has lived and died multiple times. As every person who's ever been yep. in a comic book. Yeah. I was going to say, as it is with the comic book characters. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh no, so and so is dead. Ah, it's okay. Just give it a few years. Give it a couple of comic runs. And yeah. He'll, yep. he'll be and- back. They'll be back. Come back some form or another. Mm-hmm. Just wait for a different writer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, well, folks are are uh, plugging away with uh, the bajillion issues of uh, Wonder Woman comic books, though. Um, the Wonder Woman that uh, most people, I think, know and hopefully enjoy nowadays is the portrayal of Wonder Woman slash Diana uh, by Gal Gadot, who made her first appearance 
in not her own standalone movie, um, but in Batman versus Superman, right? The, yep. the yes. one I refuse to watch. Uh, you, you, you could just skip to the end because that's the best part. You know, yeah, I've watched, I've, like, I've watched her first appearance in that and that's it <laughs> yeah that's yeah. the only good part in the movie as far as yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah when yeah, wonder Gal- woman shows up yeah yes. Gal Gadot appears in uh, that's where she made her debut as wonder woman yeah yeah um so which is um interesting um because um Gal Gadot we almost did not get her um she was actually she had been flying um because she is israeli um uh, originally and she was flying from israel to the u.s like on a regular basis trying to get acting gigs and was not really getting anywhere and um she was about ready to quit um acting completely and she's like i do 15 hour flights i'm not having it i'm done with it i'm just gonna go back to israel and i don't know what she was gonna do well, well, she, I mean, I don't know. she currently she, at the time she had a very successful modeling career yeah yeah she she had been she one of the top models from israel at the time yeah. yeah she had been um she'd been in beauty pageants she'd become miss israel and actually went on to compete in the miss universe pageant um although she got uh cut after the first round uh but still she went although she claims that she threw it uh the the miss universe pageant though because she's like if i win this i'm gonna be stuck doing things like this for a long time and she didn't want to so <laughs> she claimed she threw the miss universe pageant sure so. she did. yeah <laughs> so the world may never know <laughs> How do you throw a Miss pa- Miss Pageant anyway? Uh, How do you throw one of those? By not smiling big enough? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. That's just that's just the story she told on some late night talk show that I can't remember where, who I watched the clip from, like Jimmy Kimmel or something like that. Mm. Um, so. I'll have to find it. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, But yeah, so she um, was going to quit and, uh, you know, her agent, whoever, uh, let her know she'd been invited for a screen test and, but she did not know what it was for. And she's like, okay, whatever. One last go, one last hurrah. I'll do it. Um, And um so she did the screen test um the dialogue was just very didn't indicate what it was so she had no idea so she left went home to israel got a call um saying we want you to come back we really like you and then she was had been told that she was on the short list to play wonder woman and she was like really well okay i guess i'm not giving up acting <laughs> <laughs> so that's what she did <laughs> yeah because also up to that point she'd pretty much been playing shall we say the eye candy in films mm-hmm. because you know fast and furious folks yeah, remember was... from those so yeah. that was mainly the the roles she would get at the time so. yeah 
yeah which there are some women that i'm sure perfectly happy playing that type of role but that's not what she wanted and uh, good for us uh although she is a very very good looking woman <laughs> mm-hmm. i will uh i can't deny she is one good looking woman um <laughs> uh, so yeah yeah so she got she got the she got cast as as wonder woman made her screen debut batman versus superman and then in 2017 uh she got to make her uh wonder woman got to make a you know modern big screen debut in her in her own movie um directed by patty jenkins uh screenplay written by alan heinberg um and we get gal gadot as, as diana aka wonder woman chris pine as steve trevor uh connie nielsen is uh hippolyta uh robin wright as <laughs> uh antope and uh danny houston as uh Lundorf, and uh david thulis as uh sir patrick slash aries which was the plot twist i so saw coming at the beginning of the movie <laughs> yep raise your hand if you saw that plot twist coming <laughs> I, I, um, also add, I would also add the amazing elena anaya as dr poison yes yes yep yeah yeah so this this is our wonder woman origin story essentially um we get introduced to uh the island of the mascara um and the amazons and um you know steve trevor crashes there accidentally uh diana learns that there is a war going on she's convinced that aries is behind it and if aries is destroyed because he is mars aka the god of war um that the war will end and people will stop killing each other and it's kind of this origin story slash fish out of water um for for lack of a better term because all she's known is living on this island with women um you know she knows nothing of men really or at that time the modern world you know the mid uh you know 1910s and um so she has to go and get acclimated to the real world the quote-unquote real world while at the same time you know going on this mission that she feels she's been called to do um with uh you know killing this god essentially and um having to learn that you know people are gonna do things because free will not just because they're controlled by gods um it's it's quite interesting that you know the good guy you know our hero completes their mission but doesn't win in in this movie you know she she meets steve she falls in love you know she makes these new friends with with etta candy and um you know the these other soldiers that are part of this little ragtag group and you know she has these amazing hero moments you know that that uh that entire sequence where they've made it to uh the edge of no man's land 
and you know these these uh the other side is just being relentless in their attacks but none of the military you know none of these guys are actually doing anything to try and save uh you know these innocent people that are in the towns nearby and um it's essentially a stalemate between yeah. the two forces yeah and mm-hmm. you know she has this moment she, of she breaks know, that stalemate yeah yeah she's like we can't just sit here and do nothing you know that's not she's like that's not what i am i can I, you know, I can't do that uh so you know she she takes off her her cloak and goes full wonder woman into no man's land and it's a badass sequence i'm getting chills goosebumps yes. thinking about it mm-hmm. so you know it's just uh, um, you know it's it's just one of those you know where she's having you know she's she's seeing the destruction right there in front of her and um and taking that gatling gun fire yeah you know with using mm-hmm. only her shield yeah to defend herself yeah yeah no surprise warner brothers constantly uses that footage whenever they have to talk about their superheroes because it is so so epic i mean among the the dceu films that come out that have come out wonder woman kind of behind her shield protecting herself from that barrage of bullets mm-hmm. is so epic. it's iconic yeah Yes, very. Yeah, yeah, and it's shot beautifully. Oh yes, it's absolutely yep. shot beautifully. Like they could have easily, you know, yeah. God love Patty Jenkins for, um, you know, taking this on and you know realizing that, recognizing that. Um, and I hope I'm not putting words in her mouth here, but, you know, just for my, you know, my absorption of it and seeing it, like, in my mind, if this had been shot by a guy, <laughs> the, the sequence probably would have still looked amazing, but she would have been, not just in that sequence, but the entire movie, that, she, that Diana could have been treated more like a piece of meat for... Yeah the male viewers enjoyment i agree rachel i mean i think it's kind of because the great thing about what patty jenkins did is like you you know to like you were saying she didn't over sexualize her as possibly uh maybe a male director would yeah i think she gives her i think patty gave her the right dose of you know being an incredibly attractive woman but Mm -hmm. at the same time being such a stalwart warrior at the same time without it ever sort of pandering to either of the two sides if you will so i think it because you get that very sort of strong feminist message but they're not hitting you over the head with the feminism yeah yeah yep. yeah because i i know that I've, I've seen some people complain especially about that sequence that it's like you know did it have to be in slow motion you know showing off the you know her you know her her hips you know kind of you know moving as as she walks and you know when she is doing that kneeling and protecting herself with her shield you know the her rippling muscles and stuff it's like did you really need to do that in slow motion and really show that off and patty jenkins is like well yeah because that's gal Gadot. that's what she actually looks like she actually is ripped 
you know, <laughs> it's just, it's not just Wonder Woman, like, this is Gal Gadot, you know, she, uh, she, oh, she's former military, she was in the Israeli army, uh, she could, she could have, even before she came Wonder Woman, she could have kicked your ass, <laughs> you probably would have thanked her for it, so. <laughs> and she trained heavily for this movie, she put on a lot of muscle. Yeah. Because she was a, remember, she was a former supermodel, so she yeah. was, like, very thin. And a yes. lot of people were concerned initially that she was too thin. Yeah. Because of that, because of having that supermodel physique. Yeah. But then she, you know, she, she worked out and she bulked up and she, you know, would show people her progress mm -hmm. as she trained. Yeah. 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 And even now she could, she could kick my ass and I would probably thank her for it. <laughs> I got to see one of her, one of her costumes up close when it was on display at the Children's Museum a couple of years ago, and just looking at it, I'm like, this woman is so tall, and mm -hmm. so her shape is just, oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was just one of those. It's like I could just you know see her filling out this costume. I'm like, yeah, she could hurt me. <laughs> and she really is a badass to boot i mean i also love you know to kind of go on a brief tangent here rachel the the character that she plays in wreck it ralph 2 where she plays shank it oh, is yeah so gal gadot it is yeah. her to a t yeah yeah it's like she's so you know you watch interviews with her you know like i said that the, i can't remember which late night show it was where she's talking about throwing the the miss universe pageant but it's like you know she's like just looking at her you know she's like tall and she's got this dark hair and this olive skin you know she's this very just you know beautiful exotic looking amazonian amazonian <laughs> you know creature but she's you know she could be kind of a dork <laughs> <laughs> you know, she can be silly she can she can crack it up with the with the best of them so um i'm really looking forward to seeing what how she'll play cleopatra because i think she's perfect for that role yeah yeah, yeah. So, so um but the the whole world war one you know background of the first movie is um was somewhat uh you know jenkins uh idea along with um alan heinberg um because we we've got war movies up and down enough to you know chuck a horse um you know and we've all, we've only discussed a small number of them on gold standard and we've got plenty to go uh, so uh, not that many world war one movies exactly and and not necessarily from this perspective either um no know. because it's th thematically it's about the horrors of war yeah and that's yeah. what i think is one of the the, the really underlooked underappreciated things about that movie is that you you see this movie and it's just it's more than a superhero movie it's it's about it's about something mm -hmm. which is why i think it was so successful yeah and probably why it's ranked like one of the top movies the dcu has has churned out thus far right oh yeah yeah i mean 
I'd say it's their best one for the ex- DC Extended Universe. Agreed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So far. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, my own personal, you know, I went to go go see it in the movie theaters. Oh, I remember going to see movies in movie theaters. Uh, <laughs> I remember going to see in the movie, in movie theaters and I'm like, you know, this movie is like, yeah, it was so good. It was like, so exciting to see, you know, a, a female, you know, a feature film focused on a, you know, a female superhero. It's directed by a woman. And at that point in the, the DC universe, I'm like, it's got color. Look, there's mm-hmm. colors besides black and gray. <laughs> yeah, you mean DC movie. <laughs> because uh, at that Snyder point, the DC involved. universe, it felt like it was all in black and white. Yeah. Yep, that's it felt uh, like a film noir. <laughs> Zack Snyder loves that. Oh my god, I, and, too and much. Can, and can we also say that she probably has the best theme so far? When oh it comes yes, that Hans Zimmer score. That Hans oh, Zimmer yes. score with, with the electric cello is just fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's. So good. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. Woohoo! Oh. Um, you know, it, for as long as it took for us to finally get a good Wonder Woman movie, I'm I'm glad that it did because this that but that film had been off and on production or in different forms of development since the mid '90s. Um, actually, Ivan Reitman. <laughs> Of Ghostbusters had actually been hired to write and direct it in 1996, Um, and for for whatever reason, it you know it didn't happen. Did Joss Uh, Whedon? Yeah, almost had his crack at it. Yeah, 2001, uh, Todd Alcott had been approached to write the script. He was replaced in 2003 um, with uh, Latia. uh, Calgritis, I guess. Oh, Leda, Leda Calgritis. Yes, yeah. Yeah, um, who's a then, horrible, horrible writer, I might add. Oh. <laughs> you've ever seen... She's a horrible writer of screenplays. Oof. We, we dodged a bullet there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then in 2005, Joss Whedon was hired to write and direct. Um, but then he left in 2007 due to creative differences. 2014, uh, Michelle McLaren was uh, brought on as director. She dropped out in 2015 due to creative differences. So, my goodness, yeah, yeah. So this this movie's been in uh, development hell for yeah. quite a while. Um, so, uh, but yeah, uh, glad we got the movie that we did when we did. Um, so and then we see uh Diana uh again in Justice League. Um less said about that movie the better. Yeah. <laughs> Have they released the Snyder cut yet? <laughs> yeah. uh, un- un- unfortunately it's coming out in March. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh I, I I did with Justice League like I did with Batman versus Superman. I'm like, where's Wonder Woman? Where's Wonder Woman? Fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. Ah, there she is. Forward, yes. She does get some of the the better scenes in that film. In in a rather mediocre film, she gets some of the better scenes. Yeah. 
And we got to see Themyscira again. Yeah. yeah. Which is always nice. Yeah. yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. I mean, I am kind of interested to see how the Snyder Cut differs from what we did end up getting. But that's so just the, general. It's Batman, Batman versus Superman 2. Yeah. yeah. For me, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like a car wreck, you know. It's like, I just kind of want to see the carnage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I don't think it's going to become, you know, Endgame or Infinity War overnight. I really no, don't. No, no, no. I mean, it, it's unfortunate what happened um, that, you know, Snyder was not able to be there to complete the movie. Um, and I'm not going to hold that against him, you know family comes first no matter what you're doing um but you know when things happen behind the scenes as we have seen and will see you know with film especially film but even tv shows uh you know as as i'm getting ready to talk trial of the time lord (laughs) yes you are Uh, out, be you know, behind the scenes influence <laughs> can have an effect on what end, you know, what the end product mm-hmm. ends up looking like. It, it's very true, Rachel. But I mean, as I said, I don't see how you can make that movie, you know, say, say from a two star rating to a five star rating. Yeah. I don't see that. And one of the great things also about that movie is uh, the rendition of Everybody Knows of Leonard Cohen's, which I it's a song that I absolutely love. And the mm-hmm. way they redid it, that's one of my great memories of Justice League, is that it opens with everybody knows. Other yeah. than that, mm, the Flash skating, not so much. He's yeah. become a figure skater. No. Speed skater, yeah. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> <sighs> so, um, uh, now uh, moving on to finally, after being moved and moved, and not just because of COVID, but because of the studio is trying to figure, you know, trying to figure out when would be the best time to release the sequel. And at first, it was going to be released near the last Star Wars movie. And they're like, "Oh, we're not going to compete with Star Wars," so we're like, <laughs> "Okay, we're going to move it to a different weekend." And they were like, "Uh, yeah, the the new James Bond is supposed to be out." And they're like, "Well, we don't want to compete with James Bond either." So they're like, "Well, the last movie was released, and you know, one first Wonder Woman was released in this summer, so let's do another summer release. That'll be great." And then COVID happened, and movie theaters shut down, <laughs> and the studios are like, "Uh, well, now we don't know when this is going to be released." So it got pushed, and it got pushed, and it got pushed, and then they're like, "Nah, DC was just all like, now we're just going to release everything on HBO Max," and people are like, "What?" Um, and that caused some. Uh, directors and producers to get very very pissed off uh because they're like um, that's not what i signed up for i signed up for a theatrical release and so dc and hbo were like just kidding wonder woman she's gonna be released on hbo max and in theaters on the same day uh so you can take your pick you can take your pick if you have a choice or if you live someplace right. where you don't have a choice, then there you go. And then everybody decided, well, hey, let's just watch it on HBO Max instead of going to a theater and possibly risk getting COVID. Yeah, <laughs> unless you're me. And in that case, you don't have HBO Max. And right. I did not want to pay for it. And I could go see Wonder Woman for le- half of the price of one month of HBO Max because I was out in small town usa visiting my in-laws for the holidays so their movie theaters don't charge an arm and a leg um like some of the 
larger places do where they can do that because supply and demand. Um, and I, there was literally two other people in the theater with me. Yes, you mm-hmm. had the theater to yourself. Would yeah, you I you? almost had it to myself. Yeah. I went and sat down. Um, they had uh, taped off every other row because uh, this theater did not allow you to pick your seat ahead of time. <laughs> um, but so no, I just I picked a seat towards the back on one side and thought I was going to have the place to myself. And then a few minutes before it started, a couple, an older couple came in, saw me like, oh, there is somebody else here. And then they <laughs> went and sat on the other side, completely on the other side of the theater. So it was me and two other people. On, you know, it wasn't Christmas. It was uh, New Year's Eve Eve. Uh, <laughs> well, nice. Then you could put your feet up and everything else. You know? Yeah, and slurp your drink, and nobody's gonna be like, "Shh." Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but that had been the first time I had sat in a movie theater in about ten months. Wow. Um, and it was kind of weird. to be honest with you it was a little weird (laughs) i can imagine like your point that big screen (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i was like ooh, interesting chair (laughs) surround sound (laughs) uh but uh for me it was worth going uh you know my initial impression coming out of the theater was probably a little bit colored by the fact that I was just excited to be in a movie theater again for the first time in a very long time uh, and seeing something brand new. Um, so my initial reaction when I got out was like, oh, that's really good. Of so course, it was you get, worth the price of admission. It was worth the price of admission. Even now, I would say it was worth the price of admission. What I paid price of admission wise. <laughs> you know, if you live someplace where they charge, you know, like 20 bucks for a single person, maybe not um but for me it was worth it was worth the price of admission and the price going you know the effort to go and have to wear a mask and and that sort of thing um but yeah so wonder woman 1984 anticipated sequel finally here out available in theaters still uh it's still out in theaters, at least near me. Um, available on yep, HBO. Yeah, available on HBO Max. Again, directed by Patty Jenkins. Uh, this time, the screenplay written by Patty Jenkins, Jeff Johns, and Dave Callahan. Um, we've got Gal Gadot returning as Diana Prince, Chris Pine returning as Steve Trevor. We've got Kristen Wiig of Saturday Night Live fame as uh, Barbara Minerva, Peter Pascal, aka the Mandalorian, uh, mm-hmm. as Maxwell Lloyd, uh, Lord. And uh, uh, again, we turn to the mascara for at least a little bit. So we see Robin Wright again and Connie Nielsen. Um, the best scene in the movie. And yep, the, yeah, I <laughs> Agreed. It's yes. like with, it's like with Man of Steel. The best part of Man of Steel is Krypton. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean, that opening sequence yeah, with the kind of gorgeous. kind of Amazonian, uh, you know, contest contest skill. So yeah. you know, America. You know, Amazonian ninja warrior. I guess uh, <laughs> <laughs> Olympics opening sequence. It's really cool. I mean, it's really really beautiful i mean the 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 place where they film uh, i i know i'm assuming they return to the same uh location again at least for some of the filming 
for for Themyscira um, is uh, is just absolutely gorgeous. Um, so um, it yeah, you know, I'm like, can I go on vacation there? <laughs> it makes know? you want it makes you want to hop a plane and go to Greece. Yes, because those a little, little bit. Greek islands are just gorgeous. Yeah, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it's just cool to watch and you know gold star to lily aspel who yes. plays young diana she did all of her own stunts wow she's 12 she's 12 she's 12 oh. yeah to quote myself yep. <laughs> from gold standard she's 12 but in this case that's a good thing <laughs> it's not a frustrated 12 it's like a, oh my god she's 12 uh because she actually did it better than her own stunt double <laughs> Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, uh, so, and uh, bravo to the studio executives for realizing uh, uh, Gal Gadot and her uh, her star power and how important she is. She got a huge pay raise. Uh, she got paid three hundred thousand dollars. For the first Wonder Woman, she got paid ten million for this one. <laughs> That's quite the wow. Yeah. That's an insane raise. Yeah, Ooh. well, in a proper world, she would have gotten a million plus paycheck for the first one, but True. Right. Yeah. So so but yeah, the, the plot for this one set in nineteen eighty four. Um, you know, the height of the in real world Reagan era of um, just crazy prosperity, but not equal prosperity. Um, you know, it's the 80s. It's very stylized, you know, to what the 80s tends to get portrayed as nowadays. Um, lots mm-hmm. of bright colors, you know, spandex, a lot of teased hair. It was stereotypical um, 80s. Yeah, it was very stereotypical As 80s. someone who lived through the 80s, that was stereotypical 80s. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, high-top sneakers, that sort of thing. Just... It was the whole yuppie era, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, you know, and, and Pedro Pascal uh, as Maxwell Lord. Um, absolutely uh, may or may not parallel some... Uh, People in real life who shall not be named because we don't get political <laughs> on this show. Um, but his his portrayal. You do it my show. Yeah, well, <laughs> not on this one. But I mean, if you've ever seen um, Wall Street with yep. uh, uh, Gordon Gecko, yeah, yeah, Michael Douglas is Gordon Gecko. Um, Lex Luthor. Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor from the yeah. the yeah the Superman movies, uh, uh-huh. very very much yeah very very uh, very much based on on um, uh, those uh, characters for Pascal's performance in the in this movie, you know the whole greed is good. Uh, yeah. Gordon oh, Gecko yeah. would approve <laughs> of capitalism and the greed. Yes, yeah. He does it so well. And then I'm sitting here, I'm just like, if they couldn't have gotten Pedro Pascal, Bill Pullman could have easily have pulled it off because I was getting some Bill Pullman vibes. Yeah. <laughs> just from the look. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, in the comics, the character was based physically on Sam Neill. 
Yeah. Back oh, at the bridge. Wow. It's very strange, but yeah. 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 But I mean, but if you like, if you saw Sam Neill in the final conflict, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. What, not Jurassic Park, Sam Neill? <laughs> no, no, no. No, that was, that was after. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, we love you, Alan Grant. We really do. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the the whole the whole plot of this of this one, since we already have Diana's origin, is you know it's the eighties. It's been you know seventy years since Diana lost Steve, um, and you know she's just doing her thing. Um, still you know, she, pining over it. Still mm-hmm. pining. Over, we are going to get to that. Um, I see what you did there, Charles. Pining yes. over pine. over pine. Yes, thank you. Uh-huh. Pine after pine. Um, <laughs> oh no! Uh, yeah, we're gonna get to that. Um, oh yes, we will. Yeah. Yes. So, but you know, she's seventy years is enough time to get over someone, right? You think? Uh, geez, let's let's yeah. ask another certain Steve about a certain agent from in a different uh, yeah. again. But we will but, get to that. Suspended animation. I'm just saying. Yes. Yeah. He skipped it. He fast forwarded. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so the height of of capitalism in the 80s, Diana's trying to keep a low profile, even though Mm -hmm. she's still running around saving people, (laughs) doing random superhero things, you know, saving someone from getting hit by a car, uh, Mm -hmm. someone falling off a bridge. But then, you know, she stops this robbery in the in the mall because, you know, in that little girl in the 80s, we have to go to the mall. Oh, of course. And yeah. the nostalgia for some of the stores, and it's like, oh, Walden Books, how I miss yeah. you. <laughs> I don't know if anybody knows, but that was the same mall they used in Stranger Things season mm. three. I wonder, because it was like, hmm. Yep. It didn't look familiar. I was like, huh. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Well, in the, um, one of the stores in the mall was an actual store that existed in the dc area um and um yeah when the kids are shoplifting the sunglasses the store is called commander salamander that was a real store in georgetown Um, they specialize in new wave and punk punk attire and was very popular until it closed in 2010 so if you were you know somebody who lived in georgetown you know in that time period you're like i know that store uh, so <laughs> um but yeah there's so there's this stone the dream stone made out of citrine quartz which they have a nice laugh over because it's like why is it made yeah. of like diamonds or something um like nothing's nothing Importance made out of citrine. Uh, of this gem. Yeah, but it's essentially a monkey's paw. Is what it is. It'll grant you wishes, but it's going to not fulfill the wish in the way you think. It's good. So you know you're going to pay for it somehow. In this case, it takes away something usually that's important to you um, in exchange. And um, so Diana wishes for Steve's return, not realizing that she actually is. Um, you know, Kristen Wiggs playing Barbara Minerva, who's a fellow scientist, because Diana's working like the Smithsonian or something like that. Um, and uh, of course, Barbara is your stereotypical '80s nerdy 
character. Yeah. yeah. How many times have we seen this? Yes. Like, uh, right? Uh, about about at least 9, 10, 12, yeah. 20. Yeah. yeah. It's the stereotypical nerd becomes a supervillain. Yeah. yeah. And it's suddenly hot. Even though they were, yes. even though if, uh, you know, they're kind of good looking anyway, even when they're nerdy. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like you just take the glasses off and boom, you know, it's like supermodel. It's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like in a, uh, what, it, uh, not another teen movie where they make fun of she's all that. And they're like, I'm going to give you a makeover now. And they just take off the glasses. And I'm like, there you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're even, hot even now. Just- even the Simpsons made fun of the whole that where they had like a, there was like a Spanish uh, soap opera where you have this kind of girl with like her hair tied back and her glasses and something. She's apparently a Latin dancer. Take off the glasses and you know kind of take out the 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 the, you know, the 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 scrunchie from her hair and like boom, she's a supermodel. Yeah, yep, yeah. It's <laughs> made the glasses, change a hairstyle, marvelous. Yes, mm-hmm. you, darling, you're beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, but she, in the process of everything, becomes cheetah uh, because, of course, you know, you can't have two women in a movie without one being jealous of the other, uh, mm-hmm. even though they could have been friends and they look like they I were going to be friends. Exactly. I was like, yeah. can please not switch and have her make, become a bad and it's like, oh, great, we're gonna go down this path. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's well, they're like sometimes that. friends in the comics. Yeah, they, right. they yeah. kind of were. They, they kind of depending on the origin. Yeah, yeah. And then you got Maxwell Lord, who is this like, he wants to be a successful businessman, but all he's not even successful at is running a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> <laughs> but in the process of getting his hands on this wishing stone. You know, he becomes the wishing stone, which that I did not see coming. Um, But, Mm -hmm. you know, in the process of giving everybody in the world their wishes, which apparently nobody on the planet anywhere other than Diana wishes for anything good. Every everyone he grants a wish to is selfish and self-centered and, you know, (laughs) it wants nothing good for the world um and you know diana's gotta stop it uh yeah that's that that's the movie in a nutshell but it's just (sighs) i don't know how much of this is studio interference how much you know where they were as far as production or post-production when covid hit and maybe cause them to have to redo some things because everything shut down and this is what happens when you replace alan heinberg with jeff johns that too (laughs) because remember jeff johns wrote this green lantern script as well yeah because it's like i i love the first wonder woman movie so much and so i had really high expectations for this one Oh, you, you and me both, Rachel. I mean, and then there's Charles is saying it's Charles' point. You'd think that having Jeff Johns, who has who knows the Wonder Woman character inside and out, it would be a good story. But and he uh, he doesn't apparently he can't write a good film to save his life. Exactly, he's great at TV shows. Great, he's great at TV shows. Great at comics. Horrible at movies. Movies, yes. Horrible. Get Jeff Johns now. You see his name on there? Yeah. 
do what you can do. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, you know, the, the, there's some there's some spots where I'm like, why are we lingering on this? Like, did we really need to have that long montage of Diana p- helping Steve pick out something to wear? True. And also, what I think is really weird is uh, Wonder Woman is almost barely in this film. For the most part, it's all about Maxwell Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he's the protagonist, oddly enough, in this movie. Yeah. She's not. Yeah. I, I actually would almost, I mean, to, to kind of go on a, a little bit of a tangent here, folks were so upset in Man of Steel when Superman broke Zod's neck. I would have preferred it if they'd done what they did in Identity Crisis in the comics, where Wonder Woman actually kills Maxwell Lord. Because it would have been more, it's more suited to her because she's a warrior. Yeah, exactly. She comes from a, you know, a, a culture of warriors. Mm-hmm. So it would have made more sense to have her snap his neck like she did in the comics. That's right. I mean, you know, to see kind of Superman and Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman would have made more of that choice compared to Superman. So, right. you know, I, me- I remember folks were so like, oh, he broke Zod's neck. Superman doesn't do that. I mean, it probably would have shocked folks had Wonder Woman killed Maxwell Lord, but I was kind of hoping that they would, but I guess I didn't want to push the envelope on that. But yeah, I just didn't understand why he was so front and center when it's a Wonder Woman movie for crying yeah. out loud. Well, and it, by the end of the movie, we're not seeing Lord like suffer any consequences for what he just did either. Like no. he gets he gets reunited with his kid. Gets off scot-free. As far yep, as we can tell. Much. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's like... Well, that, you know, that kind of thing they, did happen they, in Somebody the would have had to give him yeah. a ride to where his kid was. Like, why did you do that? Why did you not take him straight to, like, the FBI or something? <laughs> it was really... And I also, I actually wanted to pose a question to, to you guys as well. Yeah. When Wonder Woman suddenly realizes she can fly, how, I mean, in the comics it happens... But that in the later, you know, in the more recent versions, Wonder Woman can actually fly. Mm-hmm. But apart from the fact that it's completely out of canon when it comes to DCEU, because Justice League happens after this and she can't fly. Right. I would actually ask is, what were your, you know, your reactions when suddenly out of the blue, she starts flying? They're like, why didn't she fly in Justice League? Yeah. Is what, you, what you're no, saying. Also in, this, in the film, the, the, the film choice of having her fly. What did you guys think of that? I liked it because you know she's flown in the comics, so yeah. I mean, it, it's a it's a cool power, mm-hmm. but I don't I don't like the way it's filmed. I think the her like the her body language when she's flying looks stupid to me. Actually, um, you know, it it almost looks like wire work. <laughs> and lassoing thunderbolts. Yeah, well, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's cool. I could see, you know, you know. Well, you know, Zeus is her father. She gets a leg up on Spider-Man there where, you know, if he doesn't have any buildings around him, he's kind of screwed. You know, Wonder Mm -hmm. Woman, she's like, hey, as long as there's, you know, stuff up in the sky, I'm fine. Uh (laughs) Also, what I was really upset about, we talked about uh, Hans Zimmer, you know, creating a great theme for her. Here, he was literally asleep at the wheel because... They use a piece which isn't even his from a film called um, Sunlight, I believe it is, where Wonder Woman is flying. And that's not a, uh, a Hans Zimmer piece. It's not even, wasn't even born in the 80s. It wasn't even created, written in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, 
we have Hans Zimmer here. Use him. He's well, he was supposed to be retiring from the superhero movies. Right. <laughs> yeah, like like Kiss is supposed to never tour again. Yeah, <laughs> or share, you know. Uh, <laughs> this time I mean it. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but they roped him back in but then like didn't use him to his full potential like what is he like yes i'll come out of retirement but i'm only working for like five minutes yeah, like i, I was doing <laughs> the netflix uh, theme like he did recently and that's it like Da-dum, that's me. yeah i'm done goodbye yeah that's all you're getting from me <laughs> so yeah that was that was kind of weird too because i mean he's a great composer oh, yes. um so yeah, you know, that's un- that, that's unfortunate that that has happened. Um, but I mean, if he wants to retire, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, how do you guys feel about the the way that this movie was marketed, the gold armor, and the lack of use of it? Though there was a nice bait and switch, yeah. Essentially, <laughs> I agree. Because- because you 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 have this whole build up like oh she has to you know she's getting the armor that she felt that she needed and then it just falls apart within like five seconds mm-hmm. of being on screen so mm-hmm. I was like what was the purpose of that just to sell it's some action like, figures you maybe you Toys. think would have lasted longer against Cheetah yeah <laughs> especially you know. considering by then she oh. had her powers back anyway yeah right so why did she need the super special armor. Right. There was no purpose for it. Yeah. And, and then, you know, even in the, the Cheetah fight, which only lasted all of five minutes as well. Yeah. It was toyetic. I do agree with Charles. It was, yeah. it, was it was to sell more Funko variants and what have you. I mean, as much as I love Funkos, I'm an avid Funko collector, but I think yeah. it was kind of like to sell more toys. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it references, you know, Kingdom Come, which is yes. a comic storyline that Mark Wade and Alex Ross did, where it's kind of like a you know, set in the future, and so an older Wonder Woman is wearing this armor. So it was a nice little homage to that from the comics, but it served no purpose in this film. Mm-hmm. It's, it was false advertising, I really think so. I mean, it's like, oh yeah, yeah she's in her armor now, folks. Yep. You know, get it's on. <laughs> nope, it's not. <laughs> and the cheetah design, I was really upset about. I have to say, I really yeah, I think that. she. I think they could have kept her like the way she looked mm-hmm. when they were at the White House. Mm-hmm. And that would have been great. Just her wearing, like, you know, animal print, you know, cheetah print clothing, and yeah. just like the really heavy eye makeup and mm-hmm. everything, and just her hair being wild and crazy. And they could have left it at that. And I think that would have been that was that was a really good look. And it may or may not be on my cosplay list. Um, <laughs> downfall to new things uh <laughs> but yeah once she goes on full on as she says apex predator it's like why yeah well th- that's also from it's the better comics. than it's a it's a better look than cats yeah that's yeah. from Give the comics that. but the cgi was so bad yeah he was like ah oh, they probably the, the money was kind of sort of draining out by this point right we spent it all on the armor apparently yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I was I was kind of really upset about that, but I mean, it's uh, you know what can you do? I, I I don't know. It was the character was just a little bit. You know, we mentioned the whole fact of you know from kind of nerd to villain. It's such a trope, and I was really upset about that. I mean, it was I don't know. It was just, 
Uh, I, you know, Christian Wig did a good job with it. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. he was yeah. fine. You know, yeah. I had no qualms. You know, no quibbles with her, but um, but just you know, just the 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 script, the way you know the the material that she had to work with. She she did the best with what she had, but what she had wasn't enough, as far as I'm concerned. Agreed. But I think we should definitely go address the the elephant in the room. Steve Trevor, why? Question mark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. why not better? <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. yeah. Or why not differently? Mm-hmm. So, because it's like, you know, yeah. This is this is the biggest issue I think that most people have with this movie is the return of Steve Trevor. Um, not just how they brought him back, but just why they brought him back. And the fact that, you know, once we get past the, the, the you know, the young Diana flashback sequence uh, on the mascara that we see what Diana was doing in the 80s and she's just working. She's working and then eating alone. Yeah, you know, she doesn't she hasn't seemed to made any friends at her job. Um, she's very closed off. And, you know, when she's at home, she's got like this like shrine built to steve trevor you know with his with his watch and you know the photos you know of of like the trevor ranch that you know she founded or whatever you know at some point and um you know she's just she's very closed off and just still mourning over this man that has been dead for 70 years I, mean, right. I I understand, you know, you know, if you have, you know, an intense relationship, meaningful relationship with someone, and that relationship ends for whatever reason, there's always going to be a tiny, tiny, tiny part of you that's always going to have, you know, a molecule that still cares for that person, because you know you can't just erase that completely, you know, as as human beings, but. It's been 70 years, Diana. <laughs> you would think I, after the first 20, maybe she would have gone on a date. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Exactly. I mean, at, that's, at this point, she's really like... Just like she doesn't even make an life. effort. She can't, you know, at least if no. she tried and be like, oh, you know, this isn't working. I can't do it. At least she could say she tried. Right. I, I was kind of expecting, you know, Hamlets from Shakespeare to pop in going, get thee to a nunnery. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Really? Uh, Apparently, nobody she met in seventy years, she had an interest in. Yeah. No. No connection. Yeah. Uh, And not even like a romantic. Like she doesn't. You know, she doesn't seem to be made any friends. I mean, granted, she's probably moved a bit because after a while, people would be like, "Uh, "Why aren't you aging?" Right. Uh, right. (laughs) So she probably moves around a bit every couple of decades or so. Uh, But still. It's like, you know, you've not made any friends other than Etta Candy, uh, you know, <laughs> who is long gone by this point. Um, you know, it's like, surely, you know, she could have at least made, uh, you know, some, uh, oh, crap, what's the phrase? I'm going to butcher it from uh, Parks and Rec, uh, what Ron considers um, Leslie, no, uh, 
like proximity workplace associate or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> like surely she could have, you know, developed uh, some of those relationships. Uh, but yeah, it's like, do you, you know, therapy? Has she tried therapy? Although it probably wasn't really a thing. She's ever. literally a loner. Literally. Yeah, she she yeah. literally is uh-huh. is a Isolation. alone at, at this point, and she's a hermit. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's like yeah, I I kind of made the comparison when her first movie came out, her to Captain America: The First Avenger, because there are some parallels there that are mm-hmm. eerily similar. Um, just the genders are switched. <laughs> There's still a guy named Steve. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, you know at least with Captain America he was on ice yeah for a lot of that time yes. so he couldn't process being separated from Peggy and also the fact that when he went, when he got thawed out Peggy was technically still alive granted she was super super old but she was still alive and therefore he mm-hmm. could reconnect with her on some level and we did get a little bit of a tease of him and agent 13 i believe it was of them yes. having a relationship which is actually happens in the comics yeah so steve you know does keep himself open to other options because yeah he he, he at least made some there was flirtation there yeah, mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. kisses her in certain situations. I believe it was Civil War where he actually kisses her. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and unlike uh, Diana, Steve actually, you know, plays the field somewhat or keeps his options open. Diana, as I said, she literally becomes a nun when it comes to that. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, the, you know, then she gets her hands on this rock and makes the one wish that the only thing she wants in this entire world is Steve Trevor back and you know the this this uh rock you know this this wishing stone as we see with some of the other wishes um that you know, if somebody wishes for something physical like it just kind of happens like that that arab sheik that that Max goes to visit and he's like, you know, he's like, I want my, you know, my cultural land back. And there, you know, this wall just pops up <laughs> out of nowhere, you know, and like towards the end and the guy's like, I wanted a farm. And, you know, there's, he's in the middle of the city and there's, you know, the grass there, there's like sheep and pigs and stuff. It's like, I wish for a farm, you know, it's a, but it's like, she wishes for Steve back. Why doesn't just Steve Trevor appear? Why do we have to have this whole like quantum leap type thing? Right. Yes. Right. right? Where in, a, in a really creepy way because it's extremely uh-huh. creepy. That, you know, he's mm-hmm. inside somebody else's body, so essentially right. he's taking somebody else's body out for, you know, for a drive. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That, that's the whole thing. A lot of people kind of go up in arms is like it's almost like non-consensual because the guy's like right. find himself that he's you know his body's been borrowed. So yeah. It would make more sense, like you were saying, Rachel, of him just kind of appearing, you know, just sort of a, a resurrection, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like if you can make sheeps in, in this guy's farm appear out of nowhere and nuclear <sighs> missiles taking off where there weren't nuclear missiles before, why can't you re-resurrect Steve Trevor in his body? You know, I, I don't understand why they had to do this whole, like, body swap type thing 
for this guy, which is creepy in itself, especially when, you know, they go to the guy's apartment and Steve's like, yeah, I think he's an engineer or something. And they just leave it at that. Like, you know, has this guy got a girlfriend? Has he got family? Where do they think he went to in the week or whatever that this is happening? You know, that he it's- didn't show up to work. And, and you know, every, everybody sees his face. They don't see yeah. Steve's face. Yeah, the only yeah. person that sees him as as Steve is Diana. Everybody sees this this guy who does. They don't even give him a name in the credits. He's called Handsome Guy. <laughs> right in the credits, they don't even bother to give him a name. I mean, that's it's not like that. Just see that's just uh, to me that just screams we could, we think so little of this guy of this character. Mm-hmm. We're not even bothered to give him a name. I mean, it really also kind of is lazy writing because you think to yourself, if the narrative purpose is we want to depower Wonder Woman, you know, just make her literally mortal, you can do it in a million other ways. Mm-hmm. Right. Or if they did that, because almost at the end, it kind of made it seem that she might start a relationship with this handsome guy. So it would be nice to have a name <laughs> that she might actually move on. <laughs> mm hmm. But all he all he is there is just to let Diana be selfish for mm-hmm. a moment, which you know she she kind of has a point when they're arguing. She's like, you know, I give and I give and I give and don't ask for anything in return. And like, this is the one thing I wanted, and I finally got it. And it's costing her the one thing that makes her unique, which is her powers. Um, so it's, you know, it's almost like, you know, they're saying that, you know, you can't have it all, Mm -hmm. which, you know, in reality, no one can really have it all. You know, you're going to have to sacrifice some things for other things. Um, yeah, but it's, it's a common trope of, especially with women trying to show women characters try to have it all and something gets dropped in the process. Um, I, I was almost expecting it by the end of the movie, the Rolling Stones, you can't always get what you want to yeah. be played. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> but it's just, I, you know, it, the, just, the, just the way that, that Diana was treated as a woman character, let alone a superhero, to me was disappointing this go around considering how much growth she went through in her first movie being this sheltered person who is known nothing but living on this island and being thrust out into the real world and seeing the horrors of war and making friends uh you know that aren't fellow amazonians you know and not being the princess you know with her mother being queen um you know making friends with you know a quote-unquote regular female you know someone like etta candy and the other the other soldiers um you know and having that superhero movement at no moment during the no man's land sequence and her learning when she has her showdown with Ares, even after destroying him, the war still rages on and learning that people suck. <laughs> people can suck. <laughs> but 
you know, you can do what you can, but at the end of the day, people still have free will and they're going to do what they want. And that's something that she has to learn to live with. And then we get this story and it's, again, people suck. Mm -hmm. But this time, because of her fancy rope that apparently does not just compel people to tell the truth, but can also be used as like a USB cord or something. I don't know. Uh, you it's know. like Batman shark repellent. There's yeah. Every, it does everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Utility. Belt. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah, she well. gets the like, you know, she learned this hard lesson the first time. We're seeing that lesson again with all these people wishing, you know, for ridiculous things, you know, like, I wish to be famous, but not realizing what comes with that, you know, and, or, you know, the guy, the, the, the two what, Irish people fighting with each other and the guy's like, I wish you were dead. And the woman just like plops over with a heart attack, uh, you know, or the, the president, you know, wishing for more, you know, more nukes, more power, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, but this time, instead you know, so they of, didn't have Reagan in 1984, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> completely different president. Yeah. Funnily enough, though, the guy playing the president, who does not get a name in this, is the same guy that plays Richard Nixon in Doctor Who. Yep. Yeah, that's what I, yep. I was like. Mm -hmm. But yeah, to your point, Rachel, one thing asks oneself, what does Diana learn by the end of this film? That you can't always get what you want, literally. Mm -hmm. You can't, but she gets an opportunity to tell the entire world that it's like, yeah, you can't always get you get what you want, but it's okay, and then that makes everybody happy, yeah. and the world That's stops true. destroying itself. Yeah, because the first one had a great, you know, moral to it, and and as I said it, it added to the character's growth. Here, by the end of the movie, Diana's pretty much where she started at because you know she doesn't have Steve. So I, I wonder whether when the third film rolls around, where she's still going to be boo-hooing over Steve again. I don't know. Hopefully not. But I mean, I guess maybe there is some resolution to that. But I don't really think the character has learned much by the end of the film. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and it's frustrating. Yeah. It's frustrating and disappointing to see. You know, and then you, you, know, you throw in the whole consent thing too with the, the steve trevor character right. which you know i i did not think of it when i was watching it but yeah you know when i started seeing people's comments and reading articles and stuff about it and of course you know i'd be it's uber creepy it is uber it is yeah. uber creepy even even if they didn't sleep together but they did which they did, yeah, they did. you know which you know even you know this guy we have to assume that this guy has probably was not conscious of what was going on steve had the persona of steve had full control um so this guy isn't likely to remember anything especially since everybody renounced their wishes so it essentially it was one giant reset button uh but still you know this guy lost at least a couple of days of his life where he's going to be like, where did I go? And people are going to be like, dude, why weren't you at work? And, you know, where did these scratches come from? Because they took the body all the way to the Middle East. And, you know, he's driving, you know, this this stolen taxi cab, you know, person's car. And, the, you know, he's getting shot at and all sorts of things. Yeah. 
It's like what you know, even if you know, even if the the bot, you know, if the person didn't get killed, you know, like you run the risk of serious injury. And then the fight at the White House, you uh-huh. know, with you know the stuff exploding and all over the place, it's gonna get scrapes and scratches, and you know, yeah. What if, what if Steve would have died in that guy's body? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then on top of that, they sleep together. Yeah, you know, which you know, as far as Steve and Diana are concerned, that was consensual, but that's not Steve's body. So, which colors somewhat my view now when I think of the TV series Quantum Leap. Like, because <laughs> now you're like, is that Sam or is that Sam Aura? Or, you know, it's kind of the same thing. It's like the the whole body swap thing. And, and some people have tried to, you know, be like, no, it's like Freaky Friday or, you know, Big or something like that. And I'm like, well, in Big, doesn't tom hanks's character have sex and technically he's 12 yeah <laughs> yep <laughs> people don't think about that yeah. Yes. yeah yeah so also, it's... also i think the big problem was having the two villains this could have been easily two movies yeah yeah it should have been it should have been cheetah or maxwell lord not yeah. both because it's like you know she didn't do anything for maxwell lord other than she tagged along and delayed Diana a little getting into the satellite yeah. system. But other than that, it's not like the two really worked together as like two evil villains teaming up to, you know, to stop the, the good guy. I mean, you know, when, when Barbara made her wish, I mean, she didn't even know exactly what she was wishing for. She just, all she knew was Diana Prince this gal who works at the same museum of her who's tall and beautiful and exotic and seemingly popular and that's what she wanted she didn't realize that she was actually wishing to become like someone who's an actual superhero right and has and has superpowers um so again be careful what you wish for (laughs) it was very hard to balance you know two villains i mean i've the few times i've actually seen it done well you know and i I have to admit, is Doctor Strange, you know, where you got Mordo and uh, and Caecilius. Though that was done well because you know, you know, the main villain is Caecilius, and you have Mordo kind of in the shadows doing his thing, and that almost makes sense. But here, I think it was just too many villains at once. They're like, okay, we'll give you it's a sequel, double villains, which has never worked. Mm-hmm. Actually, three villains if you count Dormammu. True. Oh yeah, exactly. And Doctor Strange actually have three villains. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's, it it. You know, I, like I said, for me, it was worth the price of admission. Uh, it's it's a it's still a good popcorn flick. Mm-hmm. You no, know, I will I will give yeah. it that. You know, it's it's a good action. You know, sitting in your seat, shoveling the popcorn, watching things explode type type movie um but it is is definitely one of those movies that is has suffered from second child syndrome (laughs) you know not every sequel you know when you have a sequel to something that the first movie was just so well received and done so well and you've set that bar you're just to try and reach that bar, let alone surpass it, is just a Herculean feat. It's that bad second album. Yeah. 
that yeah. a lot of bands do. Yeah. They can't quite recapture the hit album of the first time they did it. Yeah. I mean, that's why I wonder whether when the, we get the third Wonder Woman movie, whether it might be colored by that, whether folks might be a little bit gun shy when we go into the third movie, because reception wise, from what I've seen, the majority of folks have not been particularly happy with this. So I wonder yeah. when we go into Wonder Woman 3. No pun intended. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what will happen when it comes to that? You know? Well, it all depends if Jeff Johns' name is on the script or yeah. not. Get him off the set now. <laughs> yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, bring bring Alan Heinberg back. Yeah, I mean, Jeez. as far as like the numbers are concerned, this was a success. Um, as far as as box office concerned, HBO Max was very happy with the the, the streaming numbers. Um, it uh, has uh, the most. It's the most watched straight to streaming title of the year after it beat Hamilton when Hamilton went on Disney Plus, um, and it, the um, HBO Max had triple the viewing hours um, the the on Christmas than they normally would. <laughs> um, so. Um, Plus, they got a bunch of new subscribers. Yeah, and they got a bunch of new subscribers. Um, Box office, um, not that great. Yeah, the according to the Hollywood Reporter, the studio is likely to lose a hundred million dollars. Yep, won't be able to get the ivory back scratcher they wanted. Oh well, (laughs) no. No, but it's, but you know what? I think, Rachel, you know, to your point, you know, because you were super excited to go to the theaters again. I'm sure, obviously, this was also colored by the fact that nobody had had any new content in a while. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, folks like rushing to this, be it on HBO Max or to theaters or mainly HBO Max, because of the fact that Wonder the, it was on the heels and the strength of the first film. So, it does not surprise me. Yeah. And I think part of the problem is they saw the movie and they didn't like it. And so that when they had the option to go see it in the theater afterwards, <laughs> they're like, no, no, I'm not paying for that. I'm, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll stick with the prescri- the subscription that I'm already paying for, for HBO Max. Yeah. Yep. So I guess we'll have to wait and see what comes of Wonder Woman and her appearances here on out you know because the i mean the justice league did not do as well as they would have liked either um so that puts the idea of you know more justice league related films into question um supposedly there's supposed to be a third wonder woman movie um there's also supposed to be a spin-off uh, according to Patty Jenkins, as of 2019, she had planned for a spinoff um, with the Amazons of, of Themyscira, um, but we'll see if that actually happens. So, uh, but yeah, and supposedly she and Jeff Johns have been working on the script for the third, the third movie. <laughs> so, uh oh, uh oh, yeah. I'm actually also curious to see how they explain away the fact that she can fly. 
I really do. Seeing yeah. as uh, once again, Justice League happened after this because the MCU have had their things here and there, but all in all, they've kept it very tight when it comes to canon stuff and you know things that happened before, etc. But here, I'm really curious to see how they're going to explain away the fact that she can't, she didn't fly in Justice League. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they'll figure something out. She just did it all off camera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Memory wipe. They wiped the, the fact that she knew how to fly. Yeah. How, how did you get here? Uh, I flew So at some point. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah. It's like, just give her the actual invisible jet and just call it a day. <laughs> uh, we did kind of get that. It's a good, nice homage to that. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, sort of, but not really. <laughs> It's not quite the same. It was a jet that was invisible, so that counts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Any more thoughts? Now that we've uh, dissected, what did the... everybody think of the cameo at the end? Oh the yes, end? we we got to talk yeah. about the uh... Linda Carter cameo. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I was happy with that. I mean, I was hoping she'd get a little bit more. I mean, I was expecting that eventually Linda Carter would crop up in some form or shape. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe she has a bigger role to play in the potential third film. But, uh, you know, it was, it was cool. It was cool. Mm-hmm. But I'm um, like, you know, and if folks have kind of left the theater, have like turned it off. I guess now in this, uh, in this era of you have to keep your, your, you watch the credits because you might get something special. But uh, it was a nice nod. I, at least I feel. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yep, I did too. I was like, oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> I know that face. I was going to say, like, with my limited knowledge of DC, I know, I recognize that. I recognize mm-hmm. her. Well, she still looks really good for her yes, age. Yeah, yes, she does. <laughs> that doesn't hurt. <laughs> And we had gotten to enjoy her already uh, as uh, the president in Supergirl as well. Yes. And she looked right. great in that too. Yes. That too. So. Anything else? Uh, all, all I can basically say is I will, when this movie comes out on Blu-ray, I will pick it up because I'm a, com- you know, a computer, so I have to have every, all, every single superhero <laughs> movie on Blu-ray. No matter I how bad it is. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how many times exactly, Charles. I don't know how many times I'm gonna actually watch this. I mean, I do own Spawn on DVD, so I can't not buy Wonder Woman eighty four. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then, and then, heck, eventually, you know, I guess some, some, somebody's gonna eventually want to discuss this when it comes to happiness and darkness. So, I definitely want to have it on Blu-ray for sure. Yeah. Well, speaking of happiness and darkness, uh... <laughs> good segue. <laughs> yes, thank you for that opening there. Uh, uh, you guys uh, I'll let you all figure out how to plug your stuff considering how much overlap there is Okay, Um, (laughs) Nick why don't you you go first alrighty well um, as you know as we mentioned happening in darkness first off you know for to go on the musical tangent for you country music lovers out there if country is your speed I do host the whiskey and cigarettes show where we play traditional country today's country and everything else in between more info about that and where to tune in, you can visit our website. That's whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, the, I do also host the aforementioned Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss 
all superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Image, and more. And everybody on this uh, panel has been a guest, and I'm super, ha super happy to have you know, unlocked that achievement. So I'm really, really happy to have <laughs> and, and folks, of course, if you do want to join us to discuss a superhero movie of your choice, you can send us an email at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also, Gold Standard, the Oscars movie podcast, where, of course, with a wonderful Rachel Friend and Zan Sprouse, we're discussing all the movies that won the Oscar for Best Picture from 1927's Wings to the present day. If you'd like to join us for that on that and discuss a, your favorite Best Picture winner, you can send us an email at goldstandardoscars at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and the Twitter machine. And what about you, Charles? Well, Nick, as for me, <laughs> you can uh, find me... Uh, on the aforementioned Phantom Zone podcast that I do with Nick and Jesse Jackson, where we're, like you said, uh, we're talking one division right now and we're having a ball with that. Uh, that's been really good. And um, and then Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast, where just about everybody that's here has been on at one time or another. And Rachel Friend will be appearing for the next month mm -hmm. on Next Stop Everywhere as we discuss the trial of the Time Lord. <laughs> so uh that's gonna be a lot of fun i just i just recently finished my rewatch of the mysterious planet the first serial from season 23 of classic doctor who and that's going to be a very interesting discussion i think so definitely looking forward to that and uh and we'll also have holly on at, in the mm -hmm. near future so uh be warned holly you're coming back to next stop everywhere whether you like it mm -hmm. or not oh it's good there and of course, we have Nick, of course, uh, joining us as well. So, um, so I guess we need Brittany, right? So, yes. All right, there we go. So, uh, and then also Ghost with the Twin Peaks podcast they do with Dan Sprouse, where we talk all things Twin Peaks, David Lynch, et cetera, et cetera, and have a ball. We just talked, um, we just talked Wild at Heart, the movie starring Nick Cage, Nicholas Cage, and Laura Dern, and they had a ball with that. And we're going to be discussing Lost Highway. Another David Lynch film, so I hope everybody tunes in. And then last but certainly not least, Drunk Cinema, where Zan Sprouse and I, we have adult beverages and adult, adult conversation with a wonderful intro by a certain DJ Nick in every episode. And uh, just to have a ball watching movies and uh, doing our little pseudo Mystery Science Theater style commentary as we watch movies. Uh, just finished up watching the adventures of buckaroo bonsai across the eighth dimension and then coming up in our next episode we're going to be discussing which has now turned into a sadly a tribute episode for the late chloris leachman as we discuss young frankenstein it's frankenstein aka young frankenstein <laughs> yes look here what lump so that's gonna be a lot of fun and i hope everybody checks it out Cool, cool, cool. And of course, we will put links to uh, all of those in the show notes. And it just reminds me, I really should probably update our Friends of the Podcast page on our website with uh, <laughs> the gold standard and stuff. Because so, I don't think I've done that since we started that show. <laughs> so, uh, Have your work cut out for you. <laughs> I do. I do. And of course, uh, the Five-ish Fangirls, as you're listening to us, you can fi find us on said website, the thefiveishfangirls.com. Uh, from there, you can find links to all of our social media uh platform appearances facebook instagram twitter our youtube um 
where you can listen to the show, check out videos from events, and listen to our D&D adventures. Um, So I'm working my way through all the audio of that. Um, Also, um, you can find links to the book club on Goodreads. So if you want Mm -hmm. to join in our Doctor Who uh, extended media related discussions you could do that there um, if you would like to financially support us we have links to patreon um kofi uh our Redbubble, uh merch shop uh which i need to get back to updating as well i've got so much on my list uh happy birthday to me uh <laughs> coming up um uh our Amazon affiliate and our affiliate link with Audible. Uh, <laughs> I think I got all those. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Everything can be found on the website, the5ishfangirls.com. And of course, if you're listening to this, then you've probably figured out where to find us podcast wise. But we are on pretty much every podcasting platform out there, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio. All, all the main ones, pretty much anywhere that can use an RSS feed, you can find us. So, all right. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us and giving a uh, male perspective on on the <laughs> on Wonder Woman. It, it was quite interesting, considering you know she's considered such a feminist icon, yet she was created by a guy. Um, but, you know, and of course, some of that, I'm sure, was colored by his perspective, but, you know, and then Marston's story in itself is, is interesting as, as well, and, um, you know, the whole idea of, um, consent and everything on the, on, from the male perspective, because of the controversy on this movie, um, I wanted to get some perspective from so you know someone who identifies as male uh so well thank you uh we really appreciate you inviting us from man's world yeah (laughs) as as, uh you know they like to say in the wonder woman comics so uh yeah definitely Uh, appreciate uh you letting us on you know touch the hallowed themiscarian ground (laughs) (laughs) well this may be the five ish fangirls but we are not themiscara there's not a a bubble over us to keep us invisible from the rest of the world (laughs) boys are allowed every now and then yeah well Well, we definitely appreciate it yeah i definitely want to second what charles said you know thank you rachel Brittany, and holly for allowing us to play in the sandbox indeed really appreciate it yeah and we'll definitely have you back again at some point in the future so indeed yeah so with that we shall sign off for this week this is Brittany and charlie saying good night this is holly from wisconsin saying good evening and this is rachel in indianapolis indiana Be careful what you wish for. You have been listening to the Five-ish Fangirls podcast. You can find more episodes and information at the 5 Any and all books, 
movies, games, and any other forms of media mentioned are owned and operated by the respective copyright holders. No copyright infringement is intended or implied. If you wish to support the show, the easiest way is to leave us a rating and review. More ratings and reviews will make it easier for others to find the show. If you wish to support us monetarily, you can do so at patreon.com slash fiveishfangirlspodcast. All money goes towards fees and equipment to keep the show going. For official Five-ish Fangirls merchandise, visit redbubble.com slash people slash fiveishfangirls. We love hearing from our listeners and encourage feedback. You can email us at fiveishfangirls at gmail.com. You can also like and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fiveishfangirls. Thank you so much for listening and may the squee be with you.